You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Okay. I knew Linda was going to share, so I, 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 I had exhortations for glory. It's kind of like, you know, we'll work for food. We'll exhort for glory. Only it's not my glory. We'll, ex- we'll exhort for glory. I, I just, in case you don't know, I'm an exhorter. And I love to, to exhort. What's exhortation? It means to encourage. It, it, it's to comfort. It's to bring comfort to those. Oftentimes, people with pastoral anointings, they kind of go right in hand with exhortation. Because we, we, we want our words to encourage and to build up and, and to bring comfort. Uh, whether they're painful because sometimes the truth is painful, or whether uh, they come where the enemy's trying to torment and they want to bring the soothing, loving word of Jesus to bear in the, in the situation. So I'm all over the place today, so they say what else is new. <clears throat> I was just thinking about you a whole lot. I, I've just been saying, Lord, you know, we're talking about righteousness and we, we've been on that for a couple of weeks. We've looked at Romans chapter eight. We've been on that for a couple of weeks. We, we've looked at some of these passages and how, how do I best communicate your heart to your people so that they will hear and know the truth about how much you love them? I don't know about you, but this whole thing of Christianity, this whole thing of our spiritual walk is about our relationship with the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with a triune God, and getting to know that God and to get to know him intimately. I find that uh, because I, I've been in the church almost my whole life, I think uh, I was five years old when my sister dressed me because I was worth five points for Sunday school. So she took me to Sunday school and she got her five points and I cried because I didn't know where I was and who these people were, and it scared the willies out of me. But I've been in the church ever since. <clears throat> and I find that when I'm not really spending time with him in his presence, in relationship with him, when I'm, when I'm not building on, on just knowing him for, for him, my tendency is to go into religious mode kind of like a default position for a lot of us, I think, as believers who've been in the church for a long time. Our, our, our tendency is when we're, when we're not getting our emotional needs and our need for relationship met in our personal walk with Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, then we usually get busy doing stuff. We get busy serving. We get busy doing good stuff. And there's nothing wrong with doing good stuff. But the problem with it is, is when it becomes a replacement for spending time with him. Pete Scazzaro said that when we do for God instead of being with God. When we're being with God, we will do for God, but it had come out of having been in his presence. It had come out of the relationship that we have with him. When we don't, we, we find that it's real easy to fall into that that little snare that the enemy kind of prepares of religious activity to where we get real religious and we really try to earn his approval. 
And there's a big difference between loving people and serving people because you know that you have his approval versus that you're doing it in order to gain his approval. And uh, fine distinction, but it's, it's like infinitely important because it's at the heart of, of what's really taking place with us. So as I look at righteousness and I, and I, I continue to be enthralled at his righteousness, I, I first have to get out of my religious default mode of trying to do stuff to be righteous and realize that this is a righteousness that's completely different than my own personal practices of trying to be a religious good boy. Okay? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Whenever you're thinking about righteousness, you've got to realize it's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. But he has chosen to take up residence within us. Christ in us, we are in Christ. And, and that whole thing of his prayer in John 17, of how he wants the love of the Father, that the Father has for him to be in us, and for us to realize that as much as Father God loves Jesus, he loves you. And he invites us in that incredible prayer to, to enter into the community of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Within that community, we're invited to come and to realize that we belong there. I like that. I, I've got a little passage, and I'm only going to put up verse 24 for you, but it's from Ephesians 4. I'm going to start at verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Most of the time we, we live way beyond, way below our, our privilege, way below what we actually should be living uh, because of how we think. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous uses the expression, stinking thinking leads to drinking. You know, and it's kind of like, you know, as a man thinketh, as we think in our hearts, so, so we go. And the futility of their thinking, and that's something that we really need to look at. As we've sung these songs this morning on identity, realizing these are not just songs, these, these are theological truths. These are truths based on scripture that we're singing. And it's about... And when we feel weak, he still is strong. And we have strength. When we feel like we don't belong, we're still his. We, we belong. Verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Boy, that's a whole verse right there. The futility of our thinking comes from our not knowing. That's what ignorance means. We don't know. Mm. I don't know if you've ever been to Cracker Barrel and you played that triangle and you found out you're an ignoramus. Yeah. And it's like, it's because we don't know how to work the system. We don't know the pattern. We don't know how to work it. 
my daughter Stephanie could do that thing when she was like six and just put us all to shame. And it, she's just a puzzle wizard. We can't figure her out. But she could always get it down to one. But ignorance, where does ignorance come from? It has to do with the hardening of our heart. You know, the hardened heart keeps us from being able to receive the love of God. The hardened heart keeps us from being able to receive the truth, the fullness of who we are and the fullness of his love. And that's why, you know, we, we went to the place we went to this morning after worship about forgiveness and forgiving others because nothing will harden the heart quicker than when we hold something against another person. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's just like, that heart just gets so hard. And, and all of a sudden it gets constricted and there's a, there's a restriction of the grace and love and the flow from heaven to earth in you. And all of a sudden it's, we start thinking wrong. We, we, because of the hardness of our hearts, our emotions come into play. Because I really believe that the emotions are not just necessarily in your bowels. I think that, the emotions are in your heart. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we love from there. So when we, when we have the, our hearts getting harder, because we don't understand, that's why we need to hear the truth of the gospel over and over again. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Have you noticed how that is? He gets our hearts. It affects our thinking. It affects how we process and how we receive. And now we're not able to receive the light, the truth, and the love. We feel kind of condemned. And the more we feel condemned, the more we're going to be condemning of others. Have you noticed that? If we feel like God is being critical of us, which he never is. But oftentimes the enemy makes us feel like God is critical of how we're living or what we're doing or how we're, how we're uh, walking. Then all of a sudden we start getting critical toward everyone else. And oftentimes there's a critical spirit that loves to get attached to our criticism and loves to see if he can find a way to take up residence in our heart. And as he takes up residence in our heart, criticism becomes one of our spiritual gifts. But it's not a gift of the Holy Spirit, it's a gift of another spirit. And so from the kingdom of darkness, we, we think that we're being cute in all our criticism. That's why sarcasm, and some of us have our PhD in sarcasm, this would be a good day to repent of all sarcasm. Because that is aligned with the critical spirit. And have you ever noticed that whenever you make a sarcastic comment, it never uplifts the other person that you just made it to? In some ways, it, it, it's all about you when we go sarcastic. So this, we lose our, 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 our foundation. We, we lose access to receiving the grace and the truth and the love and the acceptance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as a result, then we start trying to perform for it. We try to get it from other people. 
And so we're trying to relate to other people so that we can feel good about ourselves, so we can feel accepted, so we can feel important, so we can feel like, uh, yeah, you need me. Yeah. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Ah. Do you notice the association of truth and Jesus over and over again in the scriptures? It's almost like Jesus is the truth. Oh, I think he said that somewhere, didn't he? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the more we embrace truth, the more we're embracing Jesus. And the more we embrace Jesus, the more we make place for the truth because he is the truth. Mm. Sometimes we, we get into that kind of mindset and so now we're pursuing truth and principle and we're not pursuing truth and personhood. Truth in person is Jesus. Truth in principle shows the natural common wisdom of what happens when we follow Jesus. What happens when we believe what Jesus says. And so we come into truth. But there's a lot of people who are pursuing truth as principle and not pursuing truth as person. You can get confused when you're just pursuing truth as principle. Realize that the truth is Jesus. Okay, now we're getting here. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Why is that? Because our heart's hard and we've restricted the grace of God, the truth and the love of God, the acceptance of God. We've reduced everything that's flowing from heaven to earth to us because of our hardness of heart, which has affected the way we think, which manifests itself in our behavior, our choices, and our emotions. So what are we supposed to do? Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new. Everybody, look to your neighbor and say, do you know you're new? You're new. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. It's, it's, it's the affection. It's, it's how you think and how you feel. It's your process. And to put on the new self created. Your new self not earned, not achieved, not because you have your PhD in righteous religious behavior, but it is a new, <laughs> a new self that was created. Just as you were created, and because of the fall, we went our own way. Now, there is a new creation. You think of Paul in Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You're a new species. There's no one's been seen like you when you became born again. And he says, it's your new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Anybody get nervous? 
It's your new self created to be like God. This is not a scouting merit program where you first get your wolf badge and then you move up to your bear and get your lion. No, it's not a progressive kind of thing. It is something that is instantaneous that you are now a new creation. The problem is, I love the language, it's the new birth and nobody who is born is born into maturity but they are completely born different than what they were. And so we're a new creation, we're a new creature. We've got the DNA of God inside of us. I felt it. That's so good. We just got to grow and mature. Has anybody seen one that was born and as they started to grow, they made a mistake. They made a wrong choice. They believed something that wasn't true. But that's all a part of what righteousness does. And being infused in us, it brings healing, it brings truth, it brings love and mercy and forgiveness. It, it deals with the old stuff and it prepares a foundation for us to receive the new stuff and to grow and to mature. I love the thought of maturing. It's created <laughs> in true righteousness. Not a religious performance righteousness, but in a true righteousness and holiness because it comes and it emanates from the very essence of who God is. And as God is in us and we are in him, that oneness that comes through covenant union, as we experience that more and more, hmm, we understand what true righteousness is. Righteousness is kind of hard to explain. It's really hard to define. Because it's an experiential reality that comes in your intimate walk with Jesus your personal fellowship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that all of a sudden it starts to make a little more sense. Hmm. I think there was a time in my life when I would choose not to do something wrong, one, because of my temperament. My temperament is the temperament that you have to do right. You got to do right. You got to do it the right thing for the right reason at the right time in the right manner, or it's wrong. And that's my temperament. So you got to, it's all about being right. Wouldn't you love to be married to me? Pray for Debbie. Pray for Debbie. Pray for Debbie. She just say, Oh, you got to be right. And I say, Well, yeah, I do. <laughs> got to repent of that. You know, so you can choose not to do the wrong thing because of your temperament. You can choose not to do the wrong thing because, you know, religiously, you know that you shouldn't do that. And because you know you shouldn't do that, you choose not to do that. Except for children and adolescents. It's almost like if they know they're not supposed to do it, 
that's an invitation to do it because they're not supposed to do it. So let's go do it. But somewhere we mature and we get to the place where we start to embrace, okay, maybe that's not a good idea. And so we choose not to do it. But there's a difference between that and choosing not to do it because you're in a relationship of love with another. When you enter into that love relationship with Jesus, you want to make choices that protect that relationship over every other thing. And that's why the scripture so often likens our walk with God with marriage, because there's a covenant relationship. You gotta choose certain things because you don't want to harm your spouse. You don't want to hurt your spouse. You don't want to offend your spouse. So you choose some because you want to grow closer to your spouse. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done something that after you did it, there was distance between you and your spouse? Mm-hmm. And so righteousness is because as we get to know him, we start to choose things that bring us closer and if the choice is going to bring distance, we say no to it. It's not because it's bad. It's not because it's wrong necessarily. It could be, but not necessarily. But it's just not getting me closer to the one I love. And so we want to protect that relationship above all else. And so we choose to do the right thing, or at least not to do the wrong thing, because of love in a relationship. I think that's the best way to, to develop as a, as a believer. You know, when I got saved, you know, they gave me the list of rules that I can't smoke, drink, do all these things that you can't do. And I learned the list before I had the relationship. I hadn't had that intimate relationship with Jesus. I just knew he forgave me of my sins and I had my card punch. I get to go to heaven. So that's good. Hallelujah. All excited about that. But I didn't know that there was more in the relationship than just getting to heaven. And then when I saw the beauty and the wonder of who he is, then it causes me to want to choose that which will bring nearness, that which will bring closeness. And so I, I, I want to make those choices. That's a whole lot better than doing the religious performance stuff. Thanks, Rick. That's good. Keep it up, dude. So we go to Paul in Colossians. And for those that uh, like various translations, we're going to look at the uh, English Standard Version to start with. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. We're there. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his majesty, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom 
that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. Wow, well said. Now, the Passion Translation. I can even celebrate the sorrows I have experienced on your behalf. For as I join with you in your difficulties, it helps you to discover what lacks in your understanding of the sufferings Jesus Christ experienced for his body, the church. For this is the very reason I have been made a minister by the authority of God and a servant to his body, so that in his detailed plan, I would fully equip you with the word of God. There is a divine mystery, a secret surprise that has been concealed from the world for generations. But now it is being revealed, unfolded, and manifested for every holy believer to experience. Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest, a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people. And God wants everyone to know it. Christ is our message. We preach to awaken hearts and to bring every person into full understanding of truth. It has become my inspiration and passion and ministry to labor with a tireless intensity, with his power flowing through me to present to every believer the revelation of being his perfect one in Jesus Christ. Wow. Paul's identifying with the sorrows, the sufferings, the difficulties that the people at Colossae was going through but also helping them to understand that it's associated to the suffering that Christ went through. And that somehow in the midst of the difficulties of life that we experience, when we are rightly connected and we continue to pursue intimacy, even in the difficulty, we get a revelation of the sufferings that Jesus endured for us. Wow. I love that. He goes on as he talks about himself being a minister and a servant to the body of Christ, to the church. He, he realized that the detailed plan was that he would fully equip the church with the word of God, with Jesus, God's living word. Hmm. Wow. And that it's being revealed, unfolded, manifested, and it's... It's there not for you to conceptually be able to take and put into your systematic theology in that compartment of your brain, but for you to experience, for you to experience the reality of the living word of God and to know that. And as you embrace that and receive that, what happens? Ah, you realize that living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. Now, what's he talking about here? (sighs) 
the anticipation, the expectation, the Christ as he's filling you with himself, it's not that you're going to be the greatest home run hitter and receive the glory and the accolades from men because of what you're able to do or perform or achieve. Glory is a word that I love, and you know that I love this word because I talk about it all the time. Glory is the splendor and the radiance of God. Glory is always associated with presence. You cannot have the glory of God without him being somewhere around. His glory radiates at such large levels. It's in, it's in creation. That's why we love going out in nature. We see the glory of God. You know, we, we behold that, the Psalm 19 revelation of creation. But here it's saying, ah, oh, Christ in you, there can be nothing else but glory emanating from you. And you have this hope of eternally being in his presence that begins now when you say yes to Jesus and you invite him into your heart. You invite him into your life. The glory as presence of God begins at that moment. <laughs> and it's supposed to increase. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18, he says that go from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. To another degree of glory. With an ever-increasing glory. What's that saying? As we come and, and, and as we enter into that relationship with Jesus, and we, we out of his righteousness living within us, we, we get the, the ability for the Holy Spirit to say, oh, you know, if you do that, you might lose something of your intimacy. So we don't do it. Or if you do this, it's going to draw you closer. And so we do it. We do it because the thing that becomes part of the foundation of our choice is does it bring me closer or does it cause me to be further away? But pastor, I thought God was omnipresent. And so I can never get far away. Well, there is a truth of that. You can try to run from him. And the psalmist says, if I run to the far side of the earth, he's still there. If I, if I go to the depths, he's still there. If I go to the heights, he's still there. There's no place I can get away from him. But relationally speaking, there's an ever-increasing intimacy with Jesus, with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, that we have the opportunity to make choices that get us closer. The closer you get, the more the glory radiates. And we have that hope eschatologically at the end of all time. At the very end, we have this glory of glories. There's no need for the sun because the Lord is our light. 
He is our glory. And the, the radiance of his presence illuminates everything. And, and that's what we have to look forward to in the future. But the future has come into the present. And now we know that we can experience his illumination today. And so that's why we choose, not so that we can spout that I fast and pray, you know, three hours a day, seven days a week. It's not about religious performance. It's about making choices that get us closer and closer and closer. That's why you really, in a, in a community that is pursuing intimacy with the Lord, you really don't have to talk about thou shall not do this and thou shall not do that because as we get closer, we just learn. You know, that's not for me. And you'll find that things that other people can do and it doesn't affect anything about their intimacy with the Lord, you may not. Oh gosh, how many times have I heard that? Specifically spoken. Well, blah, 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 blah. Nope. If I want to keep going this direction, I can't do that. Because when I do that, my conscience will be violated. Even though his presence is consistent, I'll be, and my perception is, well, now I'm clear over here. Anybody ever experienced that? Let's make good choices. That's based out of relationship. Let's not get caught into a religion. Let's get caught in the wonder of fellowship and relationship with Jesus. Okay, let's close it down. Let's land this puppy. I just love this verse in Thessalonians. It's just such a great benediction, I thought. Second Thessalonians 2.16 May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us I'd like to take the past tense off that, but who loved us? There's a moment in time and space where we accepted his love and it continues forever. And by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Mm. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. This isn't about every good deed and word in a religious sense, but this is in the intimacy of his love and his acceptance and what he's given to us. What a hope. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the grace that you've given to us today. Mm. Sometimes we hear the word and we receive it gladly and sometimes we endure the word and we still get the benefit of having persevered in our efforts to know the living word of Christ that brings eternal life and glory beyond glory. And we thank you. We thank you that we're not trying to achieve a glory of self-exaltation, but we're invited 
to enter into a glory of the one who is at the highest heights, the one who is above everyone on earth, in heaven, and under the earth. But at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is our glory. Our glory is in you today. And so as we look to this, these moments with you, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to take all that has been said and tailor, <laughs> tailor it to our hearts, tailor it to our understanding, tailor it to our minds. I pray, Father, that anything that the enemy could use to do harm to anyone because of where they are in the process of being close to you, I pray that you just cover them and, and, and free them from anything that goes from life to religious performance expectation. And I pray, Father, for all of us, wherever we are, that you give us an upgrade, that we can continue to move higher with you. It is the longing of our heart to know you and to know you in all your ascended glory. And for this, we'll be eternally praising your name. Let's stand, and as the worship team leads us in this incredible song, Song of declarations. Let's let's come right in there. How about you? So will I. I will. Mm -hmm. Scientists tell us that light travels at 186,000 miles per second. That's a number so big we just we don't get it. So to put it in perspective, that's like going around this entire circumference of the Earth seven and a half times in the time it takes to say one second. The nearest star to our sun is Andromeda. And they estimate that it would take 10 years traveling at the speed of light to get there. This song speaks of hundreds of billions of stars, hundreds of billions of life forms, hundreds of billions of failures forgiven and forgotten. And yet, but God has a laser focus on Chuck, on Jim, on Linda, on me, on everyone in this room, and all eight billion of us alive on the planet right now. And oh, by the way, that love is the same for all those unbelievers out there. And so you know how hard God's heart is pining for them to become his children. That's what we're worshiping. That's the God we serve. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.